caution. This podcast contains adult language, sexual themes, and depictions of violence that some may find triggering. This podcast and its hosts are not responsible for the accuracy of the material presented, as it is strictly based on our own limited research and personal opinions. The information presented is not to be confused with actual investigative files pertaining to the cases or official court and or law enforcement records and transcripts. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the show. I say this every motherfucking episode that this one is a doozy, but y'all, I promise this is a real doozy. Now, last episode, I dipped our toe into the world of the paranormal, the um, the spiritual, the 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 what's that word I'm looking for? Just weird fucking supernatural shit. Well, today's episode, we're diving even further in, and we are going to be talking about psychic abilities. Now, if you were like me, and you grew up in the 90s, psychics were everything, from call me now, Miss Cleo, to fucking Sylvia Brown's ass telling everybody, oh, I saw your cat. Your cat wants you to go back and apologize to your mother. Your cat says hello. That fucking psychic from Montel, the Montel Williams show, who was a complete fraud fest princess and the fraud like i cannot but psychics psychics were everywhere in the 90s and it was such a phenomena that we grew up with that now i'm looking back as like you know a grown-ass adult myself and i'm like what in the actual fuck were people believing but maybe there was some truth to it so i did a little research and stumbled into a story that has us really questioning our psychic visions real. Now, according to a survey in 2019, more than one quarter of people in the world believe that humans have psychic abilities such as telepathy and clairvoyance. Now, I don't know what y'all believe. I know what I believe. But I want to know how you guys view uh, the details of this story uh, after you get through all of them with me on today's episode. So, Everybody grab your That's So Raven realness wigs or, you know, like fur trim denim jackets. And let's dive into today's show and talk about some psychic shit. Because, bitch, I can't. I should have said that differently, right? (laughs) Never mind. I'm trying to end it with my usual catchphrase, bitch. I can't. I I can't. Okay, whatever. All right, guys, once again, we are hopping into a motherfucking DeLorean, y'all, because we are going back, back, back again, back, back, back in time, y'all. We're going back to December of 1980. Now, at this time on the Billboard charts, Queen had uh, two number one hits that year, Crazy Thing Called Love, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, and Another One Bites the Dust. The number one song in December of that year on the Billboard charts was Lady by Kenny Rogers. I went to try to listen to this, y'all, and I do not know this song at all. Um, Also, in December of 1980, John Lennon was murdered that that same month. So a lot of crazy shit in pop culture is going on, but nothing, and I mean nothing, can compare to the story of what went down in December of 1980 in this case. So... Like I said, it's 1980, it's December, it, we're in Los Angeles, and it's a Monday night, 
when a beautiful young woman, she's a nurse, her name is Melanie Uribe, she's 31 years old, she was in her truck on her way to work, and she is waiting at a traffic light. Uh, And this is when witnesses say they saw two men force their way into her car. Uh, Now, the witnesses called the police, but obviously it was 1980, so there's like a big gap in time between when you witness something in traffic and when you can get to either a payphone or a landline to call the police. So you have to take that into account. There were no cell phones then. So by that time, the truck was long gone. And by the time the police were called and they got involved, no one had any fucking idea who this woman was or what happened to her. Now, I do want to do a little prefacing really quick. Um, This story does contain themes of sexual assault. I'm going to keep the details very, very brief um, just because uh, out of respect for the victim and out of respect for my listeners, anyone who might be triggered by that. So we will just be mentioning that without going into those graphic details. I don't think that they're pertinent to the story uh, and out of respect for you know the victim and their family. Like, let's just not go there. So just want to give everyone a heads up, trigger warning rather. All right, so we have this woman that, uh, we have this story of a woman that got kidnapped, but no one knows what happens. Well, no one knows what happened or who she was. Well, this was until friends and coworkers at the hospital where Melanie worked reported her missing after she never reported to work that day. So this is when the police put two and two together, and they were like, okay, we have our victim. We have our kidnapping victim. So this is when it hit the headlines that this young mother was missing and that she had been kidnapped, you know, at a traffic light. And apparently, Melanie had an eight-year-old child and was divorced. So approximately two days later, like the police, they have no fucking idea what's going on with this case, um, where to turn. It's, you know, looking like it's going to be a cold case, which Side note, there's actually a fucking shit ton of those. There are so many cold cases out there, which is wild to me. But they had all but given up hope when they received a phone call. So apparently, let's enter into the group chat, a woman named Etta Smith. So Etta Smith is a 32-year-old shipping employee. um, And on December 17th, she had been listening to the news about Melanie's story. And this is when she said that she started to have these intense gut feelings that Melanie was dead. And according to this woman, Etta, she began to have these visions. Like, I had a vision of love, but not of love, child. These are bad visions. Like, this is, that's a raven, but just dark. She started to have visions of where this woman's body was located. Now, mind you, Etta did not know Melanie personally, according to her. She just started, she listened to the story and it stirred up something in her soul or one of her chakras or whatever people call it. And she starts having these visions. So now she would go on to say, you know, later on, Etta would go on to say that she had never had a psychic vision before this. But as a child, she used to have these strong feelings about people. I don't know what the fuck that means. But apparently, that was the closest she came to a psychic vision before this day, December of 17th of 1980. She also went on to tell people later on that she felt as though someone was telling her, you know, telepathically, spiritually, where the body was. 
And she never had these visions of, visions before, like I just said, but she was seeing flashes of a canyon, dirt roads, shrubbery, and something white. She didn't know what it was, but she was seeing visions of something white. So this is when she goes to the police department to tell them, um, <laughs> to talk to these detectives, and she told them about her vision, her vision of love in my Mariah Carey voice. She pointed out a, a location of where she believed this body was on a map. So the cop is like, okay, this chick is telling me that she's had these visions of where this body is. Now, she told the police that she had a guilty conscience because she couldn't sleep and couldn't go on with her life knowing that she had these visions of where the body was, but without, you know, coming clean and telling the police about these visions. Now, the police looked at that and they were kind of like, a guilty conscience, huh? So they, in the back of their minds, they were like, this bitch knows more than she's leading on. Either she was involved with this murder or something's up. But they kind of played it off like, oh, girl, okay, like, you ever seen that <laughs> that memes like, oh, we're not going to jump you, girl. Come outside. We're not going to jump you. It was very that. Like, we're not going to, you know, consider you to be a, you know, uh, you know, a suspect. Come on out, girl. Tell us more. So she points it out, like I said, on a map. Um, and she leaves the police department, right? Well, and this is where shit gets, you know, I got to be respectful to this lady because she might still be alive and her family, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this lady, Etta, the the psychic, that's so Etta. This is when she fucked, where I just feel like she fucked up. And this is just a lot. And this is where the plot gets thicker than a BBL again. After leaving the police station, she had a feeling that they weren't going to do shit. So what did she do? She took her two kids and her niece, who was a teenager, put them in her damn car, and they drove to the canyon where her visions had shown her that the body was located. Which, I mean, girl, listen. I understand, like, taking your... <laughs> you got If you can't find a babysitter, you got to figure out things to do with your kids. And I totally understand that maybe she wanted to go make sure she wasn't crazy and she wanted to go see this canyon. And I, I understand wanting to have a witness there with you so you're not going alone. But your children, girl, like your kids? I mean, sometimes I look back on like the weird shit my parents made me do, including my mom taking me to go confront this lady that she thought was my dad's side chick. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. My mom was just insecure and unstable. But um, I get, I, I, I guess if I have to think about it, like taking your kids to confront a side chick is one thing, but taking your kids to go find a dead body if you truly believe that it's there, you took your kids there, girl. Like, I am just very shooketh to hear this detail of the story. Like, when I was doing my notes, I was like, first of all, flashbacks to the side chick's house. But secondly, I was like, bruh, really? So she takes the kids, and they go down to the canyon to follow her vision of love. And the oldest uh, daughter and, you know, Etta and the teenage uh, niece, they get out of the car and they're looking for the body. And this is when uh, Etta said like her spidey senses started to take over and she could feel Melanie's trauma, Melanie the victim. She could feel her trauma and she knew that something bad had happened there. So she's walking around. She is just like murder she wrote, like a private investigator, like doing it on her own. Like sisters are doing it for themselves. Like she's out there figuring it out. She's driving around and she sees what she considers to be fresh tire marks, which 
in my head, like if you're a pedestrian, like I don't know how I wouldn't even know what looked like a fresh tire mark. I, I, I just if you took me out right now to a canyon, I would not be out there like CSI. Like those look fresh. So she said those look fresh. She puts her fingers in the tire, her hands and fingers in the tire tread marks. And this is when she feels it. Like, boom, like an 808, she just gets hit with strong feelings and trauma. So she gets back in the van and she's like, let's go contaminate this crime scene even further. So they get in their van and they're driving even further in, following these tire tracks. Like, let's make shit weird. Um, And this is when she stops the car. And her and her teenage niece, they get out, and they're walking. And this is when they see something between the shrubbery, something white. And they approach, and they see that it's white nurse shoes on a naked woman's body in the brush. Yeah. So they run to the car, and they drive around so they can find a park ranger. And the park ranger calls the police. Now... Detectives, once they got there, they were able to identify the body as Melanie's body. Um, They found her truck, which had been abandoned and burned, and an autopsy determined that she had been sexually assaulted and beaten to death, which is beyond fucked up, and in no way, shape, or form are we making light of that by telling the story. Um, Like, I make my little jokes here and there, but there's nothing funny about this. It's fucking disgusting. So... The cops call Etta, and they're like, Miss James, Etta James, we need you to come on into the station, girl. Come on down. And they're like, bitch, you need to tell us how you knew where to find this body, because now we know you were fucking right. Spill the motherfucking beans, ho, or shit's not going to go well. So she's like, listen, I already told you what I know. Like, I had a spiritual feeling. I had, you know, a fire shut up inside my bones or whatever they say, and I was out there following my psychic abilities, my spidey senses, my that's so raven. I was out there and I just figured it out that way. So the cops keep making her repeat her damn self because they're like, bitch, I know you fucking lying. They're like, bitch, what, what we naffing to do is sit up here and play all these games with you while you lie to our face about how you knew about this body. And I think they're also hoping to catch her in lies or inconsistencies with her stories. They keep making her do this and they are brutally interrogating her for hours hours we could do this for hours and hours you know that song it's a cute one anyways they are just interrogating this woman for hours they're withholding food and water fucked up and they're hoping that her answer changes you know you start to experience you know more anxiety more psychosis when like you're not eating you know and you're just like you know you don't have food you don't have water you don't have the things you need they're hoping for this because they have remind you they have no fucking leads and then this lady and her fucking baby's kids just led her led them to a dead body um, so her story's not changing. Mind you, she offers to take a polygraph test, which you are, if you grew up in the 90s, you knew, 80s, 90s, you knew polygraph, child poly pocket, and polygraph. Those were the things that, like, everybody believed in. We loved a polygraph. Like, polygraphs were in every movie. They were the end-all, be-all. Like, they were so, we just, oh, a polygraph? Oh, she could, ain't no way she's lying. We have now since determined that polygraphs are not accurate at all as you can train yourself to pass a polygraph test. So we know they're complete bullshit, but she offered to take one. So she's just like, I want to take one. I, I'm not lying. So she arrived, mind you, she had arrived around 7 p.m., right? They had her take a polygraph at midnight because they've been interrogating her this whole time. She took two 
polygraph tests. Tell me why. The police gaslit her into believing that she failed both of them and that she was crazy. They're like, you failed both. You're a liar, bitch. Like, we caught you, ho. Like, don't play any games. Like, you failed these. So by 5 a.m., they, you know, were like, just so you know, you failed everything. We are placing you, formally placing you under arrest, and we are charging you with the murder of Melanie Uribe. Etta also claims that she was strip-searched and left naked and barefoot in the room they continued to withhold food and water uh, over the 24 hours, over that next 24-hour period. Basically, they were trying to crack her and like get her to crack and give them uh, uh, what they consider, give us the real tea, give us the real story. So, Etta is in jail, being low-key tortured, and this is when a witness finally came forward. A man reached out to police and told them that his daughter, his teenage daughter, told them that their 17-year-old neighbor had been bragging that he raped and murdered Melanie Uribe. So I guess all the kids in the neighborhood were too scared to come forward about this. He told them this, but everybody was scared because this kid was a psychopath. So police arrest this 17-year-old whose name has been sealed because he was a minor. Um, So no one knows his name. Uh, But he confesses to the crime, and he lets them know that two other men assisted in this crime. A 21-year-old man named Spencer Nelson and a 20-year-old man named Louis Carnell Morgan. So they arrest all three men um, who all confessed. All three men confessed. And they told police that none of them had any fucking idea who Etta Smith was. So they're like, we don't know this lady. Which, you know broke this whole theory that she you know, had murdered this woman or that she was accessory to the murder of this woman. So after four days in jail, on Christmas Eve, police finally release Etta from jail. And what's fucked up, they didn't apologize. They didn't say thank you. They just sent her ass on her way. Like, bitch, here are your, here's your, here's your shoes. I'm gonna give you back your, uh, your kids or whatever the fuck people used to wear back then. And, you know, your, uh, I don't even know your 80s clothes and we are sending you on your fucking way. Now, eventually these three men were sentenced to life in prison for their fucked up, horrific, disgusting, deplorable crimes against Melanie. And apparently they are still in prison. Now, you already know. Six years later, Etta was like, fuck this shit. She lawyered the fuck up and she sued the LAPD. Now, she sued them for $750,000 in damages for her traumatic ass experience being arrested and low-key tortured and starved and all this shit. And so a civil a civil trial commenced in court in March of 1987, which was a few months before I was born. Talk about a good year. So the police, well, it wasn't really that great for her, but it was good for my family. They got me. Um, and the world. You're welcome. So... Uh, the police department's attorney argued that they were in the right and they did nothing wrong and they were in the right for, uh, you know, arresting Melanie considering that she brought all these fucking details to them and this bitch went to the crime scene, etc. They're like, bruh. So their whole case, is they were claiming that she was just out for money and they said they knew this because they planted an, un- planted an undercover cop in the cell with her when she was in jail and she told that person this feels like a bad movie, which somehow they interpreted as her saying she wants to make a movie about her experience and make money. Like they thought she just wanted a lifetime original movie, which I don't understand how you get that out of that because I'm sure it did feel like the entire experience did feel like a horrible fucking movie. 
So anyways, our girl, Etta, wins the case. But get this shit. They only awarded her $26,184. Yeah, the jury, they really believe that this chick had visions, but they didn't think she deserved money for her treatment, or her mistreatment, rather. They didn't, they just, they were like, it ain't that deep. She didn't go through that much trauma. Um, so they are awarded her with one year's worth of her salary, which is, I mean, granted, it was 1987. So like $26,000 salary was, I mean, it was enough to like, you know, do some shit. But it's just also like for all that she went through, that's all she got. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's really where the story ends. <laughs> she won her $26,000 and um, they sent her on her way. Never apologized. We're just like, good luck. Now, what's even more fucked up and crazy is that as time went on, she assisted with criminal cases with other police departments, apparently, uh, but she would not seek any payment. So I guess she was still having visions. Now, is she alive to this day? I don't know. Um, but I know this shit's crazy. Um, so I want to know what y'all think, right? I, Because I have my theories, right? In my head, I'm wondering, because this lady had you know, Etta had teenage children or a teenage child or niece or whatever. If I'm wondering if those teenage kids who were talking to the fucking monster child who did this to her, to Melanie, the kid that was bragging, if that child hadn't bragged and then Melanie's niece or, you know, daughter didn't hear all those details and take them straight to her mom and like, yo, this is what happened. This is where the body is. And if they hadn't already gone out found the body, took note of all those details, and then brought them back to the police as this is the vision I had. So that's one theory that's out there. I truly don't know, right? Like, I wasn't there. I'm not going to discredit this lady. Um, at the end of the day, she helped them solve a crime that honestly would probably be a cold case to this day. Uh, maybe not, because that kid was running his mouth. So I don't know. But I want to know what you guys think. Do you think she really did have a true vision of love or, or vision of murder, vision of, of I keep saying vision of love because I'm a Mariah Carey. I'm a lamb. I'm like, ugh, I'm sorry. I'm a lamb adjacent. Like, I'm definitely, like, part of the lamely, but, like, not like a diehard. But every time I hear vision, I think vision of love. But anyways, do you guys think this was legit or do you think this was another case, just like in the last one where someone found a creative way to bring details that they learned from a murder to police. So let me know what you think. You can comment on the content that I'm going to post on the Instagram account uh, at bitch I can't pod on Instagram. You're going to be able to either send me a DM or you know when I post some you know behind the scenes stuff on the story, you'll be able to uh, comment, tell me your thoughts, or if you're a Spotify listener, which quick disclaimer, I swear the audio quality that you hear on Spotify is not the same as on the on other platforms so if you want to hear better audio quality please feel free to hop on over to itunes but if you're a spotify listener um, i will put a q a in the episode link so when you're looking at the episode on spotify you can actually click the or touch the uh, q a and i'll ask you what are your thoughts on this case and you can give me your responses because i want to know i've been sitting with this one as well on my own because i don't want to tell my friends about the story because i was saving it for the podcast but I want to know your thoughts. Um, I personally have to try to stay as, you know, neutral as possible as like the narrator of the show. Like I don't, you know, I don't want to use my platform to throw out 
these crazy conspiracies. I mean, I do, but I also try to be careful with that. Um, so I kind of have my thoughts, but I want to know what yours are. So feel free to reach out. Let me know. Once again, thank you for listening to the show. Make sure you are subscribed. We are on most platforms that do uh, podcasting. Um, but if you want to leave me a review, hop on iTunes, leave me one there. We are on Spotify. Um, just reach out, y'all. Uh, I love interacting with everyone. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. I think I, I got to get a Threads account. I don't know how to f- the fuck Threads work, bitch, at all. I don't know how to sew. I don't know how Threads work. I don't understand it. But maybe I'll get a Threads going for the podcast. But thank you so much for listening. New episode coming soon. Like I said, I'm pacing myself. But I am currently feeling enough energy <laughs> to give content. So be on the lookout for another episode of the show. Thank you again for all your support. And, uh... Have a good one. Bye.